Uh, welcome back, everyone, to a podcast away, the ad-free podcast. Why are we ad-free? Because we don't have a sponsor yet. Uh, we're all things film and TV most of the time, and I'm back with the regulars. Alex, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Good, thank you. Matt, how are you, mate? Uh, yeah, I'm not too bad. Tired, but not too bad. And the last but least, Charlie, how are you, mate? Old. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Very old, yeah. Feeling old today. Um, Got your vaccine yet? <laughs> Next Thursday. <laughs> David Hammond got his today, so you should be you should be up in the next couple of days. Yeah, I should have got mine before him, surely. Right. How's everyone's week been? Yeah. You know. Lockdown, isn't it? Lockdown, yeah. Football, football is keeping me occupied at the minute. Yeah, I've had an emotional day today. I finished binge watching Avatar: The Last Airbender. If anyone's seen that, very emotional ending. I recommend it. Uh, Avatar: Airbender. The Last Airbender. What does that mean? Yeah. Uh, it's about people who can control the four elements, and he's the last one who can do air. Don't ruin it, I'm already emotional. But, uh... <laughs> a bit self-explanatory. <laughs> He's the last airbender. <laughs> yeah, but what, I don't know what that, what is an airbender. Work out, Charlie. I don't know what an airbender is. Go, go on Netflix after and watch it. Alright. Yeah, is Avatar. Yeah, no, not, not James Cameron's Avatar. And don't shit on James Cameron's Avatar. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so first question I'm going to put to Mr. Alexander. In your opinion, what is the best intro to a, in a film? What film, or should I say, has the best intro? So, you've written them down. I have written them down. Just getting them up. The one that I think I chose Godfather. I mean, it's a classic film anyway, but the opening, um, you know, where Don Corleone sighs in his element, and it just shows. It just sets it sets up the character of him and the whole it basically sets up well obviously it sets off the rest of the film but it just sets off the um don court you know really shows you what don corleone's character is and um yeah is that where he's sat in his yeah where he's sat in his yeah where he's sat in his chair and he's doing his doing his thing yeah good opening yeah the Opinion on the Godfather because I've only seen the first one. Uh, I watched 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 the second one. The first one's great, but I think the second one's so much better. I've watched all three and they progressively get worse. Yeah, I do think the second one's on par with the first, but the third one's poo poo. Yeah, because I've heard the second one's better than the first one. Yeah, it is good. The second one, really good. A lot more tense, I think. There's a picture somewhere. Saw the other day, it keep popping up on my feed for some reason, but it's the uh, mouthpiece he had to wear to play the character of Marlon Brando. You know, he's oh, got yeah, 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 in it. Scouts, yeah, yeah, it's proper big and thick. It's that was like one of his last uh, things, wasn't it? Really, yeah, his last big uh, films. He was a bit of a dodgy guy, anyway, so. yeah, he was like ra- raging alcoholic or something, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> no, a bit. Yeah, that was a really good. That was a really good opening scene. That no, I I, I agree with that. That was that adds. It's, like you said, it sets the scene for the whole trilogy, really. So exactly. did I? 
did I read somewhere that he's got in that scene he's stroking the cat isn't he and that cat just wandered on set it wasn't actually supposed to be in the scene and he was just yeah. like he just picked up this cat and just started fondling it and like not fondling it weirdly but like stroking it and then it wasn't actually supposed to be in the scene and he made it into the scene and it's quite ominous that he's just sitting there stroking this cat playing with the cat when he's like threatening people like Dr No yeah a bit like Dr No but this one has hair on it I don't think the one in Dr No has hair on it does it Oh yeah, it's a bit white bushy cat, isn't it? And Doctor No. Is it? Yeah. Well, that's yeah. Oh, There's okay. another one. There's another one that's got a dodgy cat in. in, oh. a, in a, another yeah. close one though for my first for the best opening scene was um, Goodfellas. You know where they're in the car driving along. And yeah, and they're they're uh, um they're going to be burying a body out. Yeah. There. Yeah. Because yeah, that again, that, that like um shows you properly what all three characters are like and how different like what they're all like but i really enjoy goodfellas i think it's like one of the better, better gangster ones it's funny as well yeah, i do really like funny. i do like um what's his name robert de niro yeah and joe yeah. pesky's in it as well, joe pesci. classic al pacino yeah uh joe pesci and the holy it's the holy trinity isn't it <laughs> yeah is Al Pacino's in Goodfellas? I don't think he no, is. they're they're in like oh. they're always in like yeah yeah yeah. Well, they're, they're always, always in Scorsese films. They're always in Scorsese. Yeah, loves them all. Well, they're all in Irishman, weren't they? What did you think yeah. of Irishman? I never finished it. Uh, I don't think the actors did either. Right, they're all <laughs> dead. It, it was it wasn't my favorite film. I just think it was quite slow. Uh, even it's though so it was slow. Just but far too long. It was I just weird. yeah. The length, uh, the length was ridiculous. Yeah, there was like obviously they de-aged the characters, didn't they? So yeah, yeah. A young Robert De Niro walking like an old Robert De Niro. Yeah. It just. It? You know, Stephen Graham lives just fifteen minutes from where I live. He lives in Ibstock, where my girlfriend lives. Oh, that's pretty yeah. yeah, nice. Have you seen him before? I have. He used to, he used to take his kids to the swimming pool that I work at, and then he was a bit of a knobhead, so we didn't let him in. Sorry, Stephen. <laughs> he put it down to you. Was it, was it down to you, mate? Slag something off every podcast. Good yeah. thing uh, Vince Vaughn doesn't bring his kids to that pool as well. <laughs> I've actually got a list on my computer of people that every podcast I'm just ticking them off one by one of people I'm slagging off. <laughs> So then, now it's on you, Matt. What's your best intro in a film? Um, I went, I went the iconic route. So I went for train spotting. You know the uh, the speech, choose life, which running down the street. It's like the iconic route of that is the best opening because it is. Because as soon as you hear lust for life, all you can think about is train spotting, and then the speech as well, which is so iconic. You know the uh, choose life, choose a job. Choose life, yeah, it's yeah. great. Great speech. I love that one. Bugger. Why did you have to pick him first? Why couldn't you? Have to, why didn't you pick me? And then I would have picked Train Spotting, and then he'd have to think about something. Is Train Spotting? <laughs> uh, yeah, I do have another one to be fair, but yeah, uh, that's. I'll let Matt speak about that. Because there's little. Because there's also the things that the two people chasing them at the beginning. I believe they're like the producers, or they're like someone to do with it. They're like the director, or like the director and like producer or something. The people chasing them down the street. Like they're actually part of like the production team. 
which isn't even good, which is bad. And it introduces you to you, young Ewan McGregor as well, when they're running down the street, and then the football scene as well, where it introduces all the characters, where they're all playing football, and it, like, perfectly encapsulates all the characters, that, like, Begbie's going in and just really hardly tackling people. So, yeah, you know, yeah. So it's just it's it just a perfect it's just a perfect encapsulation. Plus it's also what's, what's what's really cool about that opening scene as well is that it's in the film, like it's in the film later on. So it's kind of like a really cool like middle part of the film where it changes direction a bit. I think. But yeah, that, that like Danny Boyle's always really good at like introducing films. He did it with Twenty Eight Days Later as well. That was really cool. Mm. That was a really good introduction. Well, with the uh, the monkeys and the people like the people who are trying to set them free. And then they always yeah. get attacked. And Sidney Murphy just wakes up in like a really <laughs> hospital bed. That makes me laugh, that stats. Because he, uh, doesn't he kill his first zombie with like a carry bag full of Pepsi cans or something? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah, it is really, really good. I really He's in it. the church and all the money's on the floor and he just picks it up. Yeah. And then like the priest just comes and he just hits him with a six pack cans of Pepsi. <laughs> I've not watched 28 Days Later. I've been told I need to watch it because apparently... Oh, I've never seen it either, Matt. should watch it. Really good. So it's Danny Bot one of Danny Boyle's first, I think, isn't it? Is it one of his first? I don't know. Maybe Trainspotting is. Because didn't Danny Boyle also direct Sunshine with... Uh, what do you call it? With Dad, Chris Evans in that ad. The Beach. As well. <laughs> the Beach is a really good introduction as well. And the Danny Boyle. They're all good then. Right, so since Matt's stolen yours, Charlie, what was your backup for the best intro? Uh, oh, I was going to go for, um, uh, to be honest, I was undecided between them both, but I'll go for Dark Knight um, when they're uh, robbing the uh, bank um, and they've all got masks on. It's like the introduction mm-hmm. to Joker at the start. It's really cool. And you don't know who's the main bad guy because they've all got the Joker face on. They've all got the clown masks on. So it's like really mysterious at the start really really enjoyed that and then the way that he leaves leaves the guy with the gas in his fucking mouth that gas oh, grenade yeah and he just lets him just stay there and that's, it's like it's just really savage to start off with just like it's completely different to the first batman like the first batman was good like it was pretty brutal but then it went really dark um with obviously with heath ledger the late great heath ledger but yeah um that that would be my other option yeah, the best thing about that is where they all kill each other. Yeah, trying to get the money. Like, yeah. I was told to kill out the electrician once he was done, and then and he'd done. He'd probably planned all that because he did that in the film. He did that with loads of different characters. He that's like a really good start to be like how like deceiving like the Joker is and like an evil person. It's really good. I really enjoyed that. Mm. Is is it's when um <clears throat> it's when the guy has that shotgun, doesn't he? Because the bank manager comes out with a shotgun and yeah. like one of them and then they're all like panicked and then he just gets annihilated by the joker and then just but then and then and then what was mad as well is when that bus comes charging through the fucking bank at the front it's just like <laughs> you know he's, he's like talking to that guy and he's like looking at him and then all of a sudden the, the bus hits him and it's like right on time like everything's like precise he says just before didn't he? he goes oh no i got told to kill the bus driver and it's like yeah yeah yeah. And it well, comes just... yeah yes yes that's it yeah, yeah. You can hear him for the first time speak. He's still got the mask on as well, so you're like, oh, he's still mysterious. It's cool. Yeah, because it starts with the iconic Christopher Nolan shot, isn't it? Because he's, he's stood holding the mask and the camera just slowly yeah. tracks on him. Because it does that in, like, Dunkirk and when yeah. 
Christian Bale's in the Batman suit standing over the, you know, the collapsed building where Rachel died. Uh, yeah. <laughs> does it in Dunkirk as well? Does it in Interstellar? It's it's a good shot. It's, uh, good way to reveal characters anyway, I think, into a scene where he does it anyway. So yeah. good at introducing characters. I was reading upon Tenet earlier on and kind of where he got the idea from that film. And apparently for like 20 years, he had the image of a bullet going back into a gun. That was it. That was the idea for Tenet. That's kind of what it is. Worked on it for 20 years before finally getting the idea for it. But since you all answered, (laughs) I'll give you mine. I think the best intro to a film is Goonies. (laughs) <laughs> okay, yeah. Because <laughs> you always pick random ones, you do. You always pick it's not random. random. It's not, I can't help it. It's just the best intro. <laughs> That's with the guy in the prison cell who think because the prison guard goes in and he looks like he's hung himself. Mm. And oh, then yeah. he fakes it and he escapes. And then they're outside with the car. And it's that massive car, cop car chase through the town. Yeah. And it introduces every character because every character is Watch like. TV. Yeah, so like for for what you call him, Chunk, he's in the arcade and the cars go past and then the same for everything. And they go on that massive beach. Mm. They sneak onto the four by four beach race, which which is a great. So I don't think it I don't think it can be topped. Yeah, fair enough, mate. That's yeah, a good one. Film I, like that. I was tempted for this answer to do Star Wars A New Hope. Oh yeah. That's a classic. I was thinking that as well. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. Oh, just for the for the opening shot, just just to really kind of not know what you're expecting when the first time it came into the cinema, just to see this little ship flying, being pursued by this huge star destroyer. But uh, you, you think when you see the first rebel ship, you're like, holy hell, that's a big ship. And then it goes off. Well, I did anyway. And then all of a sudden, it's just the Star Destroyer obviously comes in and you're like, that's not a big ship. That's a big ship. And you see this massive grey triangle kind of come from the top of the screen. Yeah. And I love the way after the credit roll goes, it always kind of just pans down or up into the first shot. Mm. I got some feedback, and apparently some people have made a drinking game from the podcast every time Star Wars is mentioned. <laughs> they take a shot. That's Alex's game, that. It's my game, yeah. We're getting these sours out in a minute. Have you started watching any of them yet, Alex? Because you said you were finally going to man up and watch them. I haven't, to be honest. I haven't had the time, really, what I have, but... Been sleeping, haven't you? Haven't you? I've been sleeping, yeah. Hibernating. Sleeping. Like a little hedgehog. Blame, blame Tesco's. <laughs> well, we've already blamed Tesco's for a few things on this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got mine all here. Got DVDs. Got all my DVDs of Star Wars next to me. The only I'd DVD. one up you and go to the loft and get them on out on VHS. <laughs> <laughs> God. I could do one further and say I went to the cinema to watch them, but I'd be joking. so speaking of star wars you know star wars has a great theme by the legend of john williams which leads us into the second question which i'm gonna go straight to charlie on what film have you picked that has the best composed soundtrack and what what i mean by that is 
it's been completely made by a composer, not not like Top Gun where they've taken Highway, they're not uh, Danger Zone. Danger Zone, it. yeah. Kenny Loggins. Yeah. So what film um, best composed soundtrack? Well, I had two. It was quite hard. I quite well. Yeah, you you probably hit me there with the the because it's a it is a soundtrack and it is the composer for the for the uh, film. Uh, it's Hans Zimmer time. Um, it's Inception one. I really like that because it's like it builds up in as a song. Like I thought it was really cool in the film how they did it. It's a bit like when <clears throat> the dreams are all building up together, and like each level's like going through. Like that song gets bigger, like stronger and stronger, and that like mirrors it quite nicely. And then the other one I had was, um, what was it? Oh, what have I down? Yeah, that was it. Um, Howard Shaw for all the Lord of the Rings. Mm, yes. <laughs> Sorry, I was just greedy. I was greedy adding two, but yeah. Um, just thought so, I'd do it. Joe's got to think of a new answer now. No, I'm I sticking with He's got a backup. He's got about five, probably. But yeah, yeah so Howard Shaw as well, just because it's, yeah, well, it's Lord of the Rings. I don't really need to explain anything else. Well, since Lord of the Rings was my answer, <laughs> I'm going to jump back to me. I do agree. Howard Shaw. Uh, a song in particular is the breaking up of the Fellowship of the Ring. So at the end of the first film where Gandalf dies. Spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah, we've taken the note. We're saying classic films. If you don't know, Gandalf dies at one point but comes back, you know. We can offer you the help, but that's all we can do. Uh, yeah, I think that, I think for all the songs, especially well, in the third film as well, you know, where all of Rohan arrive and they're mm. all blowing the horns and suddenly they're just the massive cavalry charge and just smash through them. I think, you know, I don't think. I think when he, uh, when he does music for like Rohan, like he has music for different, different like factions in Lord of the Rings. Like, I love the Rohan music. It's always got like a, a violin or something to go in on. And then um, like the uh, Hobbit music's quite light and cheerful. Yeah. Cheerful. and then but like the, the, the when the minds of moria sorry when when they're in there like that's great when it's like it's just really like deep bass music in a sense at the bass <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if it, i don't think it was composed by the person but in the hobbit the um the misty mountain songs that all the dwarves sing that oh is, yeah oh yeah it's peak good song i just love it I still, yeah i, just, I mean there's something about the hobbit though it's just like uh stuff like that i do like it but it's like i don't know the hobbit irritated me quite a bit like in terms of lord of the rings because lord of the rings was like unbelievable and back to lord of the rings quickly as well i watched the hobbit recently um and the first 30 minutes basically gandalf is stoned as shit he is so stoned he's just oh he's, he's like you can see his reaction everything is like whoa, whoa like that like fucking firing off fireworks everywhere just like having a great time he's absolutely battered him and buddy and then I watched the extended one, so you get to see like more of like Gandalf, and like you get to see more of Bilbo, and they're both absolutely smashed. There's like one scene where Frodo's like, "Have you been? Have you been at the bar for too long, Bilbo?" And he's like, "Yes, no, like that." It's like mad. There's <laughs> actually asshole. Both of them just getting absolutely pissed. It's great. I love it. If you ever get a chance during lockdown, watch it. It's like two pound fifty on Amazon, but the extended version it's about four hours long. And the last film was a mistake because Gandalf was absolutely out of his head and employed a <laughs> hobbit to take a ring. <laughs> pretty much, probably. He's like, oh, this ring's pretty wacky. He's like, you need to lay off the, the, the 
book some weed or whatever. There's, there's not even a there's not even a ring. Yeah. <laughs> just, just imagine it. <laughs> you know, it's all a dream. It's one of the party rings that you can get from the little biscuit things. Just got yeah. You're up. So there was a Haribo Star Mix ring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah do watch them because it is funny to see Gandalf really done in. They're that battered that Mordor's Morrison's not anything else. It's actually just them getting trolled and walking to Morrison's to get more food. Yeah, probably. <laughs> That'll make sense. Well, yeah, there's another theory as well that Merry and Pippin are just there just for piss up all the time. Like in the extended scenes as well, like everywhere they go, they find somewhere where they can get pissed. I'm, re- I'm reading the book at the moment, and I've just got to the point <laughs> where they get to, you know, Rivendale for the first time. But the the kind of journey, you know, where they get chased by the Black Riders. Mm. In the book, that's so different. I it's and the way they start it is that kind of Frodo waits kind of you know when Gandalf gives him the ring for the first time mm-hmm. in the book he waits like two years before eventually setting off oh yeah, yeah. he waits till a birth another birthday and then he moves house and then him and Mary just go on a walk for a bit and then Sam joins and then they meet a load of elves and have a party basically and then they find they keep getting pursued, but it's a bit obviously it's different because they have to take bits out of the book. Yeah, you know they have to identify really... what can we make in the book and put it into the film. Otherwise, it'd be the extended edition would be like six hours, and the normal film would be four hours. Mm. Yeah, it was it was really interesting in the extended as well. Like when you see the Fellowship of the Ring, like it, it depicts Boromir to be like pretty evil and nasty. Um, obviously, he does save Merry and Pippin at the end, but spoilers um but yeah a, um in in the actual extended ones there's like scenes of him and aragon talking about going to gondor together and like yeah you know and 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 being like really like brotherly bro- like a brotherhood almost mm. and you actually see that in the film and then in the two towers as well you also see um i've had too much time around to watch two extended versions of the ring <laughs> but yeah uh, the two towers one that's uh that's also got uh um Ah, oh, Boromir. Boromir's in it again, and it's like he's in Osgiliath, and he's like taking Osgiliath, and it's like a big like five to ten minute scene of him with Boromir and Faramir, and having like a big discussion about the the ring and like who's going and this that the other, and it's like I don't know why stuff like that was taken out because it was like introductions to characters for the next film, bit mm. weird. Don't get why, but I suppose they were already maybe running on too much time, like maybe they were just like well. You know, if we're going to send this to the cinemas, are we going to add another 30 minutes on and people are going to be in there for four hours? Fun like, fact, do you know Warner Brothers never made any money from Lord of the Rings? Really? Surprise with the production costs. No, it's because they got sued by everyone, so they oh. never made any profit from it. So Who basically, they getting sued by? The actors and Peter Jackson. Oh, so shit. apparently... Because uh, I had to look at this for a module, uh, actors were given like a certain percentage of like merchandising costs. So obviously they sold like toys of Lord of the Rings, and people were supposed to get you know a percentage of the total like what they sell mm-hmm. of it, and they didn't. So they sued Warner Brothers, and then Peter Jackson sued Warner Brothers for some reason. I think he he didn't get paid or something. And then the Tolkien estate sued Warner Brothers as well. 
So they never actually made profit from it because all the money they did make in profit, they had to pay out in lawsuits. Jesus. They would surely I, make money now, though. And Amazon's got it now, haven't they? So I suppose yeah, maybe Amazon's not. got it. Mm. There's loads, of, there's loads of little things, isn't it? Like everybody knows the thing where um, Aragorn kicks the shield and uh, kicks the helmet and breaks his foot. But I was watching something the other day that you know when um, the Urukai attack them in the forest, and one of the Urukai throws like a, a dagger at Aragorn and he hits it away with a shield. Yeah. That was an actual dagger. That wasn't fake. That was an actual like real knife that could have hurt him, and he actually hit it away with his sword. <laughs> Out yeah, of I that. yeah, I love Vigo. I can imagine him doing that. Yeah, because on that 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 whole segment where they're chasing the hobbits, uh, Legolas falls off a horse and has like two broken ribs. So Orlando Bloom, sorry, uh, Aragon's got a broken foot or toe. So they're yeah. running, they're running through New Zealand in these takes, but they all can't run because they're all injured. Yeah, that's right. But enough of Lord of the Rings, because we've got someone eagerly waiting for their best soundtrack. Alex, what's yours? So, based on what you mentioned about John Williams, I've gone for a John Williams. And to be honest, I thought I could just say all of his films, because they're all... I narrowed it down to Saving Private Ryan. There's just something about that. You know, the, the... drums and trumpet and everything and i don't know it's just it feels quite it's quite a powerful soundtrack isn't it and it's and then obviously when you know what happens in the film and then it, it just hits it just fits in perfectly and then when the when the um like the snare drum just comes out comes in throughout the film as well and like the sad bits and you're like damn it's but then john williams all of his films are just like he just seems to get the music perfect every time and then that bit in um what was it is it raiders of the lost ark or um the um was it the lost kingdom when the pirates of the caribbean meet when he like the pirates he does of it the in gladiator huh he does, in gladiator. he does it in gladiator as well I yeah think it does, he doesn't he it's pa- like pa- that caribbean. that little bit um that's uh, Hans Zimmer, isn't it? Is it Hans Zimmer? Like, yeah, Hans Zimmer. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I think John Williams is great as well. I think yeah, I personally that. didn't want to say a John Williams score because I just think he's in a league of his own. He is in a him, him and Hans Zimmer are in leagues of their own. Hans Zimmer's great, yeah. I really rate Hans Zimmer's music. I was going to say um, Dunkirk as well. That's Hans Zimmer, yeah. and that's... I mean, him, and, good, him and Christopher but... Nolan work well, like work, put yeah, two loads do. of films together. Really well. Yeah, mm. it's good. Oh, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Dunkirk. You got sorry? I wasn't a huge fan of Dunkirk. What the film or the soundtrack? The film. Oh, I love the. I love the like constant ticking. I thought it was great. Film. Good idea that. Uh, but I just think it was kind of a weak story. I thought it would have been more about. The kind of people of Britain deciding to, you know, go and help them and bring them back rather than just kind of people waiting at the beach. I know that's what it was, but I thought it would have maybe done more more with it. Yeah, quite a lot of quite a lot of war films are from obviously, well, obviously from the perspective of the soldiers and stuff. But I feel like especially someone like 
Christopher Nolan could have done really well doing it from the like you say the perspective of the people that went over to Dunkirk and they did a little bit didn't they with that yeah but I feel like they could have done they could have even done a whole film about the um yeah about just about that especially Christopher Nolan about that one boat or something and then but it is a good film but then about the fact that this when Tom Hardy's in his Spitfire and flies up and down the beach with no engine on about four times. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's like, the only, that's, no. yeah. <laughs> I think that's the only weakness of that film, to be honest. I think it's really good. I, I think the idea. I like the fact that it kind of messes with time again, but I feel like it wasn't really needed. I thought mm. it was because you literally, they literally were like two days away from like extermination on the beach at Dunkirk. Like, no, but what I mean is, you know, how. The film, at the start, where you see like the sinking ship, and then Killian Murphy kind of climbs aboard. The it's all it's all at different times, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it's not the film. The film isn't edited in a continuous. No. Way. Yeah, because the bit with the boat is the bit where the boat comes over from England. That's about a two-day storyline. The Spitfire one's about a it's about a two-hour storyline, and then on the beach is a completely different length of time as well. Yeah, I, I think yeah, I think you were right about the the whole idea of having the clock yeah, ticking across. I just yeah, I, just, I think it was like really bold of him to do because he's not really ever done anything that's actually a real story. So to maybe try something like that and execute it quite well, it's pretty decent. So last person, Matt. Based. There's not there's not much point asking me because my composed my composer thing is John Williams. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, but he has a lot of films. Like Alex chose. Uh, He's yeah. forgotten already. <laughs> I, I have forgot to be honest. Oh, Saving Private Ryan. Sorry. There we go. Uh, I just went for the classic, you know, the classic Star yeah. Wars. You know, just got to get that Star Wars, another Star Wars thing. Take a shot, people, if we're doing that game again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just keep saying Star Wars. If yeah, like Star Wars. just get it. I said to him, he's going to be screwed when it's the Star Wars episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alex won't want that, will he? But yeah. I'm <laughs> joining in on him. Just, I'm joining in with that person just to get through it. <laughs> it's just... It's just it's all those, they're all just so iconic. All the songs, like all the composed things, like Jewel of the Fates and all of them like it's just all of just everything that he does in star wars is it's just really good jewel of the fates also the like luke's theme the de- theme on dagobah and it, like you know the romance bit where it's like and he's on but well, it just get ruined <laughs> go what was that one again chucked a cat down a hallway or something <laughs> You know, you know the romantic things that he sings, all the string bits where Anakin's like, "I hate sand; it's coarse and it gets everywhere," and it's like got the string bit in the background. Yeah, which, which that's bit? just like which, which bit? Which bit, Matt? No. <laughs> <laughs> that bit. You know. Now's a great time to announce that we're making a podcast album. <laughs> Oh yeah, I've actually got there's a if you back to Lord of the Rings quickly, there is a band called what is it? Oh, shit, I need to read this quickly. Bo Hansen. They did the, before Lord of the Rings ever came out, it's like a seventies album and they did like what they thought Lord of the Rings would sound like. It's called Lord of the Rings Bo Hansen, I think. Oh. But yeah. Very good. Yeah, I think Matt. any listeners would probably 
you know, John Williams has a a very good portfolio of music, we can all agree, you know. But you know, it, it it is wonders of how, you know, he because you watch the documentaries behind Star Wars, how he's obviously sat in the studio with the whole orchestra and George Lucas is just playing the scene on the screen and he's just somehow said, I want to do this and just compose a whole song for it. Mm-hmm. The best thing that I've seen is um, it, it, it was the proms, like the BBC proms or something like that, but I don't think it was the BBC proms. And they got um, the, the orchestra to play Jewel of the Fates and they got two actors, like two trained stunt actors to come on and do the fight between Obi-Wan and Darth Maul. So they're like fighting in front of the orchestra, doing all the moves in like, it looks really sick because they're in proper costumes. They're all doing flips and like properly, obviously choreographed. But it does look really cool. And then on the background, it's got the orchestra going, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, I've seen bit, seen things like several of his films, actually, where um, he's um, conducted an entire orchestra like live and then the film's been playing behind. So then yeah. you can see the, which looks quite cool. It, it, probably, it probably would be quite cool. I hmm. saw that for game of thrones you know when they do the battle of winterfell with Mm. the night king and it's kind of like a slow cello and then it quickly it kind of builds up uh but another fun fact for me is uh when john williams did the original kind of theme for jaws you know the dern and and classic theme that made you shit yourself whenever you went into water uh when he played it to Steven Spielberg for the first time, uh, Steven Spielberg's reaction was, you've ruined my movie. <laughs> it probably, when you first hear it, though, it probably does sound a bit like this is a bit comical. You know, it's like almost it's like it's, it could be in like a cartoon of someone being chased. That like, uh, it is very like that. And you'd be like, what? Which it's kind of been, it's kind of become that now because everyone uses it for like, stuff like that so if you're trying to make a take the piss out of like in a horror in a comedy film like for example i don't know a scary movie like someone's swimming in the lake and then you get like dirt and you're like oh and then yeah. it's just a random dude that comes out and it's like jump scares you but it's just not actually scary another funny thing about jaws is because it was filmed in like universal studios obviously they didn't film it in the middle of the ocean so there's like a massive pool basically where they filmed the water scenes but what they did is they surrounded it in walls and painted, like, kind of the background on. So if you watch Jaws, you can see the water sometimes, the waves splash onto the background and splash back. But it's only a nerdy thing if you look close enough. I just got told it. So I watched Jaws and certain scenes, you can see the water crash back onto the background. So <laughs> what? No, basically, just watch the water. <laughs> yeah, I, I watched Jaws for the water. <laughs> I want to go back to the the scene of Matt being attacked by someone in a swimming pool. There's a random guy jumping out. It's just going behind him. Wait. It's what he does at his job at the swimming well, Matt pool. Matt doesn't work. He just swims behind people. <laughs> just behind people. I do. I just, I, I, I just swim on the bottom of the pool and then come up and just kidnap kids. <laughs> right, or if someone's having a sad moment, just goes up behind them and pretends to be a violin. <laughs> That's actually what I do when I jump out of the water. I go to underwater and then jump out and go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got, you got right. here we go, but you're still going. 
Uh, dear. Uh, so, uh, question three, which I'm very interested to uh, hear your answers, is uh, there's a category called Best Picture at the Academy Awards. We're all familiar with it. Mm-hmm. I want to know what film Alex yes. should have won Best Picture but didn't. So it's a film we've already talked about today. Oh, please don't say what I think you're going to say. The Dark Knight. Oh, no, thank the Lord. So, one of the highest grossing films of 2008, one of the best superhero films ever made. It wasn't even um, nominated. Um, well, it was nominated for a bunch of, a load, a load of Oscars, but it didn't win Best Picture. Um, it was actually Slumdog Millionaire that won best picture that year um but yeah i just think and it also because the amount of controversy that was that um came about after that it's what led um the academy to increase it from five to ten um from from maximum five to maximum of ten films um and yeah obviously keith ledger and a posthumous best supporting actor Oscar for it, but um, yeah, just it never. I didn't realize until I was looking into um, I kind of went through all the um, well, about the last 20 years or so in films and um, best picture category, and then looked at ones. And then when that came up, I thought that was quite a so who would such a good film, like we say about you, like you were saying about the opening, the opening of it in the bank. Bit. I think that mm. bit alone is just, but in there didn't get any, didn't get uh, didn't get it. So that's. I think they were, the Academy thought a superhero film isn't an Academy film. Obviously, yeah, Black Panther now has. It's won. probably when they changed their view, isn't it? And they actually started to regard them as decent films and films that are worthy of winning, winning Best Picture and everything. Because like Star Wars have always been nominated for like the best visual effects and sound mixing and stuff but like none of the sequels not that they deserve to never got a best picture nomination or anything no but didn't didn't martin scorsese say that superhero films aren't proper cinema or something or was that just the marvel films no he said superhero films aren't proper yeah, cinema. yeah. but uh, <laughs> still like hated upon but who won that year then when the dark knight should have won Slumdog. Slumdog Millionaire. Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah. Which oh, is a good film. But... It's a good film, but... So, just because you you were scared for a minute there, Matt, that Alex had stolen yours, uh, what film should have won Best Picture but didn't? Um, again, one that's already been said. People are going to think that I've just gone off what people have said because everything that I've got on my list has already been said before for a different category. But I'm going for um, Saving Private Ryan in 19, uh, 1980, uh, 1998, Lost yeah. to Shakespeare in Love. Yeah, I saw that too. Yeah. What even is that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Shakespeare, I've got the synopsis here. Shakespeare oh. in Love, William Shakespeare is looking for a muse to help his writing when he meets Viola, Gwyneth Paltrow. Who, who loves the theatre. She plays the part perfectly. However, she is promised to the Lord of Wessex in marriage. That lost, that, that won over Saving Private Ryan. 
Who who was who was the main actor in that? Um, I don't know who William Shakespeare was. It doesn't say who William Shakespeare was. Gwyneth oh. Paltrow was Viola. Oh. See who, uh, let's see who Gwyneth, let's see who William Shakespeare was, shall we? But it literally, I, I like re- researched it and everything, and it's ridiculous because maybe uh, they can't. They don't want to give it to Spielberg and Tom Hanks all the time, though. Maybe. I suppose I don't know how many Spielberg actually won. Has he won Oscar? How many has he won? Uh, he's won quite a few. I don't think he's won. Out. I don't think he's won many for best best picture. Schindler's List didn't even. I think that actually won actually. Yeah, that might have won. Yeah, Liam Neeson didn't win for his. He lost to Tom Hanks for that in for Schindler's List. I researched yeah. that as well. But the main character in it is Joseph Fiennes. I assume Ralph finds his brother. Something like that, yeah. Are you ready for Steven Spielberg's Academy Awards? Go on. He won Best Director for Saving Private Ryan, Best Director for Schindler's List, and Schindler's List also won Best Picture. Yeah. When you look at the amount he's been nominated for, though. Yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Munich, War Horse, Lincoln. Munich's a great film. Bridge of Spies, The Post. Uh, that was a great film. Just, oh, yeah, that, to be fair, that's a shout as well for Best Picture Snub, The Post. No. I like that film. It. I saw that. The only good bit was like the last half an hour when they decided to kind of release it. The rest was very slow. Yeah. But it's it's just ridiculous how this... this I think the Shakespeare and Love won it because they didn't want to give Saving Private Ryan it because it was like such a gory war film because it is so realistic. Why would you? I and IMDb gave Shakespeare and Love a seven point one out of ten, and Saving Private Ryan got an eight point six. Mm. It's double the amount of millions worldwide Saving Private Ryan did. It's ridiculous. Like the birth, Saving Private Ryan is the birth child of Band of Brothers. Pretty much, they use they use yeah. a lot of the the stuff in Saving Private Ryan to film Band of Brothers. Then I think they may as well have just stayed in the UK and filmed it. To be honest, well, wherever they filmed it. So Charlie, your turn. Yeah. Your turn, mate. What <clears throat> should have won Best Picture but didn't? Mine's like the, the year. I think mine might be the year after um, Saving Private Ryan. I think mine's Sixth Sense. To be honest, I thought that was considering it's a, a horror genre. Um, like you know, obviously Parasite won this year, but I don't think that's classed as a horror. It's not thriller, isn't it? Um, but yeah, they well, don't par- they don't normally win. They don't, they don't normally win. So uh, again, like it's just a bit. I think Sixth Sense would. It was American Beauty, which was in front of that for that year. Um, so personally, I would have preferred a horror film to win, just because I think sometimes some horrors are actually good and like worthy of. It's been Oscar nominated, and Sixth Sense, like the 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 twist in that whole film is great. Like, mm. if you've not seen it, I don't want to spoil it for you, so I'm not going to say it. But if you if you well, have time great. during if you have if you have time during lockdown, watch that film. That is good, very good turning. But I think people kind of know what what that the end of that film is anyway, really. Mm. Um, mm. But yeah, or there was another one which I'm not even saying it because it's I'm like, why didn't that win? It was the same year as uh, No Country for Old Men and um, There Will Be Blood, 
they were both like uh, first and second. So that's like a really good year to to go up against because um, they were both really good films. No Country for Old Men is an incredible film. Unbelievable, yeah. There will be Blood's quite good as well, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah, I love the kind of just Silence. unsatisfying, but kind of the unsatisfying ending of uh, No Country for Old Men. It's just a weird, you don't expect it to go there. No. Uh, but that yeah. film's great at building tension. What, what's the plot of that film? Is that the one with the guy with the cattle gun? Javier Havar Bardem. Yeah. yeah, the one with the cattle gun, where he flips He's the coin. great, in it? Yeah. That's what got him the James Bond uh, bad guy thing. That yeah. Film. Yeah, the, the yeah. Tension, there's a scene where Josh Brolin's in, like, a motel. Yes! And oh, the God. lights just go out. Oh, the, the lights go on, but you can just hear footsteps and see shadows. And then yeah, that big scrap. This shootout in like a little small town. Really cool. Really cool. Yeah. That is really cool. It's got some good cat actors in that. I quite enjoyed yeah. it. So, but I like, I just like the silence, like the silence in that film when like the conversations are so like easy. It's like a couple of word sentences for like most of the vocals in it. Mm. Really good. That's tension. I read what then, Joe. Sorry, it's just it's just because I couldn't. I read something the other day because I've I've started watching Mindhunter and I was researching like psychology and that like criminal psychology, and um they over after they got like some psychologists to watch like a hundred films with psychopaths in it, and they said Javier Bardem's portrayal of the, his character in No Country for Old Men is the closest to a real psychopath that they've seen in cinema. Just a fun little fact there. Mm. Mm. So he did really well in that, scientifically speaking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys, I'll just interrupt that. Yeah, any staff of science, have you about then? Well done. <laughs> <laughs> right. So my turn. In 2018, uh, the Academy Award for Best Picture went to The Shape of Water, directed by Guillermo del Toro, but it should have gone to Jordan Peele for Get Out. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, a great, great film. Yeah. That, well, I'll, I'll read the nominees for 2018. Lady Bird, Call Me By Your Name, The Post, Phantom Thread, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Get Out, Dunkirk, Darkest Hour, and The Shape of Water. That's a hard year. That is a very hard year. Great year for film, but that is a very hard film to pick a winner. But I just think, I've seen most of them. I, Three, Bo- Three Billboards is a great film, but That's I just think the, the everything behind Get Out, it's just insane. Yeah, yeah. it's got lots of undercurrent like messages in it. It's, it's really good. It's considering it just, it's meant to be a horror. It's just really good. It did win Best Original Screenplay, but I think it should have also won Best Picture. Yeah. Uh, it, it's an insane film. Uh, it's got comedy in it, but it's also... The end just goes from... To, it just goes from, like, on a scale from normal to Quentin Tarantino, yeah. basically. It's terrifying. Uh, terrifying film. Uh... Plus, also, he's a, he's a comedian, isn't he, Jordan Peele? Yeah. So to go from being a well-known comedian to directing a horror film such as great as Get Out, 
is fascinating in its own right. A lot of them say, I was watching an interview with him and he says people in comedy find it easy to go into horror. I was about to say that. Comedy yeah. is quite similar to horror in terms of kind of building stuff up. Yeah. And, and with humour and then with The execution. Horror. Yeah. But uh, there's a few, there's a few, like Charlie Brooker, he's a comedian, he wrote All the Black Mirrors, you know, like, it's, I think comedy is quite a good one to, A, put in horror, but B, you kind of make, it's, it's, you're kind of making fun of the crazy things in the world and I think that's what com- comedians do as well at the same time. The thing time. is, you can, you can put comedy into other film categories. Yeah. You can make like yeah. a war comedy, like mm-hmm. a historical comedy. You can make an action comedy, a thriller comedy. Uh, mm. But my other other snub I dwelled on is like as much as I think Parasite should like was des- a deserved winner, I did kind of want 1917 to win. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's that fair. is an incredible film, and obviously. Roger Deakins got the award for cinematography, which was deserved because they had to, the way they had to shoot that film was insane. They were, they rehearsed for six months with no cameras before even thinking about cameras. And the fact that they had to kind of do it with no lighting, they had to, there was a story where they had to, obviously because it's continuously shot. So at one scene, they, uh, it's kind of sunny and cloudy. And then the next day they went to film the car- the followed on scene. It was bright sunshine, so they couldn't film. So they had to. They were sat around for ages waiting for clouds to come. You seen though? You know that bit where um, he's in that town that's on fire. Yeah. Have you seen the lighting though? The, that the they, massive yeah, rig for it. The massive rig they used to simulate the fire, and it's literally. Wow. Well, it's it's enormous. Just this giant light that manages to light up this whole scene though it's mad same with that town we know throughout that scene there's flares going up yeah well the way they had to work that is they made uh, a small kind of construction of the town and they they put little kind of wires going above above the town and they then put lights on that and moved it around to work out where the shadows would be yeah so the building, so when they said it, they got these big cranes and then put a flare onto a rope and then just shot the rope up to simulate the flare so they could see how shadows would work. But yeah, like I said, it deserved, Roger Deakins deserved to win Best Cinematographer for that. But I think 1917 was just something new. Well, so was Parasite, but... Mm. Uh, was Parasite the first um, Os- like, Academy win for a South Korean director. Mm. Yeah, well, other nominees in 2020. So you got Parasite, 1917, Ford vs. Ferrari, which is a good film. Yeah. Uh, the Joker, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Irishman, Little Women, Jojo Rabbit, and Marriage Story. Jojo Rabbit's a good film, but it it doesn't deserve to be Best Picture. It's a good film, though. I don't think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood should have been nominated. I don't think that should have even been near getting nominated. Why? Because it was a terrible film. After the first episode, everyone messaged me saying, Hateful Eight is not as good as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You're insane. And I was like, I don't care. It's. No, I agree with you. I, I agree it's not as good as Hateful Eight, but I still think it's it's a good Quentin film, personally. I think it's decent. 
Mm-hmm. Lots of shit on Tarantino, you know. I, when I when I say a film's a bad film, I'm I have respect for the filmmaking process. I'm not saying you know everyone worked hard, but I just don't think it was mm-hmm. a, not worth the hype. Not worth the hype it got from some people in my friendship group. Yeah, no, no, it's just, uh, uh, I don't know. There was touch a bit. The thing is, the thing, sorry, Matt. The thing is with uh, the the uh, the Oscars this year, though, as well. I think they probably were like, oh Christ, we've got eight nominations and seven of them are white white males or well, not even females half the time. Um, we do need to maybe just vote for vote for not not discrediting the film, but I think maybe the Oscars were just maybe trying to be a bit more inclusive with the, the winner because they probably thought well shit how are we going to get away with this in the media af- afterwards if we've just nominated everyone that we said we weren't going to nominate in a sense um so i think that maybe to save their own neck because yeah. it's quite a tough choice i think it's a tough choice i mean uh, you, you give discredit to jojo rabbit Matt, but i thought that was a really not discredit but i know you said it's a good film but i still it's think it's it doesn't deserve to be best picture yeah, I mean, but it's, it's quite a cool story. I think like a completely different take on, say, a war film, mm. um, and about that that particular story of, yeah. of of World War. Like it's about you know the culture of of Germany and like what would boys believe in the future? Are they going to be all mini Hitlers or <laughs> are they all going to you know turn turn around and be like, no, this guy's a div? Well, like I said, I think with again with Parasite, nineteen seventeen, Joker, kind of Jojo Rabbit, it was quite a refreshing year. Mm. Uh, a kind of wide range of different films. Uh, Similar to Get Out, Jojo Rabbit obviously was directed and made by Taika Waititi, or whatever you pronounce his name. I don't know how you pronounce his name properly. Correct pronunciation. <laughs> well, mate, well done. Um, I would have done. Obviously, he was—he's known for being quite a funny man, making what we do in the shadows and that lot. And that film is um, a very funny film, but there are lots of scenes that are cut with a level of tension that I, when I went to watch in the cinema, I didn't expect it to be as, in some sections, as as a tent, as intense as it was. I thought it was going to be like, haha, funny, taking the piss out of Hitler, but it was. Some of the scenes. There's one scene I have in mind, and it really is a shocking scene. There's a scene I, when kind of, you see the trailer for it and think it's a happy film. The scene I've got in mind is where you see the shoes. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's kind of, especially like the, the scene before that is so kind of chippy and happy. It comes and out then it's like, like you've it? just been haymakered with emotion. <laughs> Uh, I love that Stephen Merchant's in it as well. Yeah, <laughs> that's the greatest thing. Yeah, they were like Hell Hitler, <laughs> and then someone else comes in. They're like Hell Hitler. Yeah. Hell Hitler. Uh, the, end, the end bit as well when um, when um, JoJo's with Sam Rockwell's character at the very end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that gets you in the feels as well. Uh, so moving on to the last question. And the last question links in with it being the last question uh, for you, Matt. Uh, we have the we've had the best intro to a film, uh, but what's the best ending to a film? Another film that's been mentioned today, uh, the ending of Inception. 
with the, yeah. with the spinning top. Mm-hmm. I think that is such a good ending, just because it's so ambiguous, and it's just you don't know what's anything. You just don't know. It's left completely down to your interpretation at the very end, because it's just left spinning, and you don't know. And you just, I just think that's such a, an amazing ending to a film that. Like most Christopher Nolan films, his like standalone films, you could eat with most of them. You can easily he could easily make a sequel, but he never does. Like he could easily make a sequel to that with the spinning top just spinning, and then it cuts before it could fall over or not fall over. Mm-hmm. It's such it's just such an ambiguous ending that I just think it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I really like that ending as well. I think that's a good one. Mm. I think it's good. So what have you put, Alex? Shawshank Redemption. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because of when, um, <laughs> like, so you see their characters grow together throughout mm-hmm. the film, and then you feel quite sorry for him, for Red, when um, Andy escapes from Shawshank. Um, but then, obviously, you know, he gets that letter telling him to um, go to the tree. And mm-hmm. then that last that scene where he's running along the beach and um sees him and his hat flies off and stuff and then they like end up living out andy's dream together down in mexico it's just quite it's quite nice and it like you say like i say um the relationship that you see through them and you get you think you feel good that they get to live out their freedom Mm -hmm. with each other because they're the only people they're the only people that they've got on the outside they you know they don't know anyone else really everyone else that red knows knows will probably be dead or not want to know them and then andy is obviously completely changed his identity but yeah it's just really it's that scene um it's that scene where he's uh about to uh, hang himself the same as um brooks yeah yeah oh it looks like he is and then he caps in his name Got yeah. his own name, and then you're like, oh, yeah. Christ, he's going to do it. And then he's like, just, he gets off the chair. You're like, oh, shit. Okay. Doing that was going to be my answer for um, Best Picture Snub as well. Yeah, who won it that year? Was it Forrest uh, Gump? Forrest Gump. Yeah. Yeah, well, Shawshank Redemption flopped at the box office. Oh, it did, yeah. Because it, it came out. Loads of films, like uh, Blade Runner got, was flopped. Uh, mm. 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 But it's made its uh, but it's made its way to the top of the IMDb yeah. movie charts. But I think for me, the engine with like Shawshank, because I originally put that Alex, but I changed it. Uh, <laughs> it's when you know he he throws the like chess piece at the poster, yeah, and you just hear it kind of echoing, yes. yeah, and then he tears the poster off, and the camera's like in the tunnel, and everyone's head kind of just looks into it, like you don't even even realize he's been doing it because obviously it hides it so well just to see out of nowhere you know he's just dug this tunnel because he he asks that guy that can get him stuff if he can get like six foot worth of rope and you think he's actually killed himself and then it and then it gets through and he's just disappeared. But, I mean, props to Andy Dufresne, because I don't know about you three, but I definitely couldn't call, crawl through, however, four football fields, was it, worth of, like, sewage? I couldn't yeah. do that. No, I'll just stay in prison. I'll just stay in prison, please. Well, to escape from prison, I think your mind might, might change, maybe. Maybe. If you're, in, if you're innocent, 
you know, you definitely want to get out of there anyway. Imagine getting stuck. Oh. Yeah, I'd, I'd be, I'd just be, because you'd throw up on yourself. You'd be, oh. just keep going, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, well, the end is a nice river waiting. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, in it, just wash it all off. So, what, what have you picked then, Matt? Probably said mine, Inception. Have you? Oh yeah, sorry, Charlie. <laughs> um, oh, what did I put? Oh, I've got a few. To be fair, you've always got a few. Just pick one, mate. We only asked for one. I'm looking at them all now. I mean, he's, he's, to be honest, Charlie's probably done it better than most of us because we've had to edit our answers or like <laughs> kind of change our answers a small bit. And Charlie's got like you and Charlie have got loads that you can just whackle off. Whackle. Um, I'm going to say this one, but I'm, I'm really not. I'm not saying it's my favourite because I think it's still very on par with the rest. Uh, Whiplash. I thought Whiplash was great ending, like when mm. uh, the, the drum scene in that. I thought that was like unbelievable to watch, and like how him, him like going through all the emotions, like they both hate each other, but at the same time they both love that type of music. Like he's obviously his fingers are all fucked and shit, and he's trying to drum and stuff. Obviously, completely not really in line with the film in a sense as in 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 line with reality should i say because you, sh- you shouldn't be able to play the drums after a massive car crash but yeah it's all, it's all that stuff i mean there, there is a bit more to the end but that's like the main like bit i'd say um just watching them two like kind of enjoy being together even though they hate each other just they're, they're like linked together because of the music um, i love how it cuts before it kind of finishes yeah, like, it's obviously he does he does like the last few things and then before he hits the symbols it just goes yeah yeah and cuts and he also shafts him doesn't he at the start yeah 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 right it's really good it is really good um the, another one that I was gonna I'm just gonna throw it in there but um Shutter Island thought that was a really good ending as well for a film yeah. like obviously again I don't want to spoil it for anyone do watch it if you haven't watched it um but yeah to have that final twist at the end. Uh, which, uh, to be honest, when I first watched it, I was like, "Oh, whoa, that's a big." You know, you, you almost get you almost get led into the path of believing the actual the the, the other story compared to the actual one. It's yeah. really clever, really good casting that as well. Quite creepy. Um, I've yeah. got I've got I've got a second one as well that we can talk. It's this this one's more feel good, but if you want if we want me to put that one in, or we can just leave it, I don't mind. Well, I'll put say in, mate. first because I've got I've got two. Well, oh shit! You haven't done yours, have you, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> it took that. me a while to think of this because it, it's such a like a oh my god ending. Has anyone seen the nineteen sixty eight Planet of the Apes? No, no. Well, <laughs> <laughs> basically, there's obviously he's on. He thinks he's on a planet where apes evolved from men, and you know it's it's that thing, isn't it? And at the end of the end of the film, he's on a beach, and he sees the Statue of Liberty. Oh yes, broken yes. in the sand, and he realizes he's been on yeah. Earth the whole time. Yeah. And he kind of just lets out this massive kind of scream and drops to his knees. Uh, but it's just a sweet ending in terms of you know he thinks he's not on Earth, and then he's escaped and stuff, and then yeah, he's actually on Earth. You can't go anywhere. It's great. Yeah. My other one for a happy feel-good ending was The Martian. Yeah, The Martian's yeah. cool. 
where they uh, where they rescue him. I watched that the other night actually. I think I, I think it was like one o'clock in the morning. I went, oh, I'll just watch a quick film and then show some action. <laughs> We've all been there, going down that rabbit hole. Uh, but yeah, I think that whole film is great. I love the kind of uh, randomness. Well, not randomness, but the kind of just the cool science stuff he does. By science him. stuff, isn't it? Yeah, really cool. Uh, yeah. And how kind of he goes when he asks when the potato farm blows up, and then like in it fast forwards like seven months, and he's super super skinny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but obviously, that's you can tell that's a body double. Because it never shows you his face when he's skinny. Uh, but yeah, and the way he kind of Iron Man's it at the end. Uh, but space is a bitch. You won't want to go to space. No. Won't want to go to Mars anyway. But... Well, they say it's like it'll add like two years to their travel times. Like, how could you be on a ship traveling from a planet for like a year or something? I don't know how people do cruises, mate, to be honest. But I can do it. <laughs> I can't. I can't do spaceship cruises. Not a chance. No. Yeah. No, I can't go to Mars either. What was your second one, Matt? Um, my, mine was just it's the boat that rocked. Yeah. If you ever watched that, boat film. that rocked, yeah. Yeah. Just the ending of that, because obviously, I won't, I, I won't give it away, but like, some something happens at the end of the film, and then it's just a real feel-good ending. Because all the all this th- th- this massive thing happens, and then you think that they're all gonna like just not survive, and then they just get yeah. It's just really good ending, and it's feel good. And it's also good at the ending as well because it explains how like pirate radio, which is what the film's about, has developed into like Radio One and like loads of different music, and it ends with loads of rock and roll album covers coming up on screen. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just... Yeah. <laughs> it just ends up with um, it coming up, all of them coming up on screen. And I didn't realise this until I watched it recently. But they um, they had um, BBC Radio 1 and like loads of old DJs helped mm. create the film and like had their input, like they were creative directors and stuff. So the film is actually quite accurate. Oh. Because it's based off it's based off Radio Caroline, which is currently part it's currently parked it's currently docked in Essex. Oh, nice! It's really it's just, it's, if, you ever, if you haven't watched it, it's a real good film. If you like yeah. music, and you like the sixties. It's just it's got like Chris O'Dowd, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Bill Nye's in it. It's quite it's got, a, um, uh, thingy out of Hot Fuzz as well. Yeah, Nick Frost's in it. Reese. I don't know his last name, but Reese something or other. Iphons. Iphons, yeah. He's in it. Emma Thompson's in it. It's like got an all-star cast. Mm. And it's just good film. And it is just a proper feel-good film. The music in it is amazing as well. Because obviously it's set in the 60s, so you got like proper 60s good music. Just a good film. Just good ending. So it's my second one. <clears throat> Did you have one, Alex? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Any on the top of your mind? No. You know, so it's the only Shawshank Redemption. You think every other film is a shit ending? Yeah. <laughs> I say every other film may as well not have an ending. 
I mean, I can't remember other films I thought of. I thought like Seven is quite a good ending. The... Is that the box? Yeah, that's what's in the box. Uh, and uh, Prestige, that's another good ending as well. If you've watched that, it's the magician one with Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman. It's a good one. Then, mm-hmm. um, again, another happy one. I'm going to just shout put her out there, but Pursuit of Happiness. That's a yeah, good yeah. ending for, right. for a heartwarming film. The yeah. te- tear jerker, that one. I just like uh, you know, as well. Psycho. No. Yeah, sorry. You know the original Psycho. Yeah. Where it just ends with him smiling at the camera with the kind of the voiceover, uh, and it just kind of completes the kind of the the, the name of the film. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's another good one. Uh, well, what was the other one as well, which was a bit wacky at the end? Clockwork Orange is quite wacky at the end as well. Yeah, that's film. a bizarre film. Very bizarre. Good though. That's a film not for the faint-hearted. That film. Well, I think give it a wrap there. Uh, yep. Interesting to see how the first one on Teams uh, audio will do, but. Mm-hmm. Should be all right. So thank thank you guys, and thank you to the listeners as well. Uh, got a lot of support from. Yeah. Good old. If anyone's if anyone's got any like opinions, please share them on Twitter or Instagram or anything like that. Um, we're we're happy to hear your opinions as well. So we might put some questions out maybe for people. Yeah. Just keep an eye on all social media. All right. So thank thank you guys. For being here, Charlie, Alex, Matt. Yeah, uh, lovely. We'll have a really nice time. Will do. Uh, everyone enjoys getting near tea time. So, uh, yeah. happy oh, dinner. Do you, do you guys get yours made, dear? Yeah. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're at home. Leave us alone. <laughs> I'll just have me. Uh, I'll have me noodles. That tree behind you looks nice, Charlie. Just have a lunch on that. It's actually almost it's, it's it's almost dead. You know, oh. there's a few there's a few plants in there that are dying. I'm dying. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm dying. Yeah, actually, that can be the end of the podcast. I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs>